Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by the Sensory Learning Center with host and mother of a recovering child with autism, Betsy Hicks. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Betsy and her guests illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Betsy Hicks. Hello and welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope. I am your host, Betsy Hicks, and today's show we are sponsored by the Sensory Learning Center, so I want to thank them very much for sponsoring so that we can get these important messages across to you. Our guest today is an outstanding woman. Her name is Barbara Lowe Fisher, and she is the co-founder and president of the National Vaccine Information Center. She is the co-author of DPT, A Shot in the Dark, and she is the author of The Consumer's Guide to Childhood Vaccines, as well as the editor of The Vaccine Reaction. Barbara, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Today we're going to be talking about vaccines, and I guess my first question to you, Barbara, is autism is at 1 in 133, the spectrum 1 in 6, asthma, diabetes, immune disorders, out of control, chronic diseases are everywhere, so this is not really just about autism, is it? This This is about what is happening to a whole generation of children. Well, there's no question in the last 25 years uh, we have seen uh, an epidemic of chronic disease and disability among our children that is growing, unfortunately. Um, As you said, one American child in six is now said by the government to be developmentally delayed. That's a shocking statistic. Um, in In the past 25 years, the number of American children with learning disabilities, ADHD, asthma, and diabetes has more than tripled. And autism has increased 200 to over 5,000% in most states. So um, we need to ask ourselves, what are we doing to our children that is causing so many of them to be what I call stuck on sick, uh, not able to resolve um, any sort of inflammation, which um, I think is probably at the root of most chronic diseases. Uh, A lot of scientists believe that just about any disease, uh, chronic disease that you can point to, uh, from Alzheimer's to cancer, uh, Crohn's disease, asthma, allergies, uh, multiple sclerosis, all of these disorders are actually uh, inflammatory conditions where the body cannot resolve inflammation and stays stuck on inflammation. And then, of course, inflammation can do many, many things to the different organs of the body. Um, I think that that if you look at vaccination, which is being done with increasing frequency in early childhood, we're now starting at 12 hours old in the newborn nursery with hepatitis B vaccine. Um, Our children then go back in at one month, two months, four months, six months, 12 months, 18 months. I mean, they're constantly, their immune systems are being atypically manipulated with the use of multiple viral and bacterial vaccines. And what this can do is it can cause a chronic inflammatory condition in the body because in the old days what our kids used to do is they used to, to have uh, infections in childhood, whether it would be chickenpox or uh, rubella, uh, some of these diseases that we vaccinate for um, today, um, the immune system no longer is able to naturally experience infection 
and then and, and and when you have an infection, the first part, one part of your immune system mounts an inflammatory response, and then the other part of your immune system, the learned part of your immune system, um, sends out chemicals and 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 and, and other uh, processes in the body that then resolves that inflammation. So if you only atypically manipulate the immune system, you can skew toward chronic inflammation that will then cause you to have all kinds of brain and immune system problems. And, and there is growing evidence that autism and asthma and learning disabilities, ADHDs, these kinds of neuroimmune dysfunction may be related back to continually atypically manipulating the immune system early in life with too many vaccines. So too many. Now, we're talking about so uh, the vaccines we're talking about. We're talking about the DT, now it's DTAP, the polio, the Hib, the Hep, the varicella, um, MMR. So many vaccines. Are they all equally damaging, or do they all, do they all have their own reason for being a problem? Well, here's the thing. There is so little that's known about the biological mechanisms of vaccine injury. That is what actually occurs in the body when vaccines harm the body. We also know very little, really, about the way diseases, infectious diseases, progress in the body. There's a lack of scientific knowledge across the board about the immune system in the brain. And I think that it's, it's because, you know, they're kind of groping around in the dark, uh, and yet they're committed, uh, the public health officials and uh, the uh, pediatricians and the drug companies are committed to preventing all infectious disease in early childhood with the mass use of vaccines. They're really doing it in a, in a vacuum of scientific knowledge, and that's part of the problem. So when you ask me that question, it's difficult to answer. Every vaccine contains either a live virus or a killed bacteria, uh, that is supposed to, in, in lab-altered form, prevent you from getting the disease. Um, but there are a lot of additives in vaccines in addition to these vir- lab-altered viruses and bacteria. There are things like uh, mercury, which some of your listeners may have heard about the controversy about mercury preservatives in vaccines, uh, formaldehyde, aluminum, uh, phenoxyethanol, glutaraldehyde, sodium chloride, monosodium glutamate, a lot of people don't realize this in some vaccines, mm. uh, hydrochloric acid, a, a number of different antibiotics, aluminum sulfate. I mean, it goes on and on, and I think a lot of people don't really realize what, what the, the vaccines contain. All of these substances on their own can cause problems in the body. Um, and that's been shown in animals when, when, when they've been injected or exposed to these different chemicals. Um, and so it's very difficult to know which is it the component, a specific component of the vaccine that's causing a child a problem? Is it, uh, the, just the manipulation of the immune system through the process of vaccination that's causing a problem? I think most most um, uh, scientists and researchers who are independently looking at this have come to the conclusion that it is a host or child and vaccine interaction. That is, that the, we all, you know, we, we are not all the same genetically. And in, certainly in this country, we are bio, uh, have a lot of biodiversity. We come from many different um, countries of many different, uh, with a, a diverse genetic makeup. And so, um, we all present at the time of vaccination with different uh, uh, genetic uh, factors that could predispose us to to having a problem with one or more vaccines. So 
where one person may tolerate hepatitis B vaccine just fine. Another person might uh, develop multiple sclerosis or chronic fatigue or uh, some other kinds of brain and immune system problems after hepatitis B. Some of us uh, cannot excrete mercury efficiently. So if we uh, have a vaccine that has mercury in it or many vaccines that have mercury in it, we can then have a reaction that will cause brain and immune system damage because we, of our genetics, we're not able to tolerate mercury. I know in my own case, my son who reacted to the DPT shot, um, I think we have in our family a, a difficulty with handling pertussis. Pertussis toxin, which is in that vaccine. Um, uh, why do I think that? Uh, well, um, w- there's a researcher who, is, who has discovered that, uh, for example, night blindness. If you are able to not able to uh, drive uh, at night or have difficulty driving at night, and you see the little burst sun, like a halo around the lights, uh, night blindness can be a marker for not being able to handle pertussis uh, toxin and. Um, so I think that, that it, there are a lot of questions about exactly why one child will uh, suffer a reaction and go on to have permanent brain and immune system damage after vaccination, and another child will not. And, and I, you know, it's funny because my son was damaged. I lost my son to autism when he was six months, mm-hmm. and he, but he had so many vaccines that I can't. It's even harder to pinpoint it. I mean, he had the DT, the DTP, uh, DPT. He had the um, polio, hepatitis, all in one shot. Mm-hmm. So so many parents will say, well, I'm not sure which one it really mm-hmm. did. The, min-. the MMR tends to be one that people really tend to pinpoint because that, that one is, um, you know, when they hit them at two years, it just gets them. Well, I think but, that, uh, yeah, there are, there's, again, a lot of different biological mechanisms involved as to why children will have difficulty with vaccination. At the National Vaccine Information Center, we are continuing to get reports of regression after vaccination, even though most of the vaccines don't contain mercury, and that has been the the most publicized biological mechanism that's been talked about in the last few years is mercury in vaccines. But we are seeing kids going down after getting 10, 12 vaccines on one day, live virus as well as killed bacteria vaccines. We're seeing kids who are going down after one dose of chickenpox vaccine, which is a live virus vaccine. So I think, again, it, it really depends upon the child and what their genetic makeup is, how they present at the time of vaccination. If you have a child who is sick, with a coinciding viral or bacterial infection, a child who is on antibiotics, who has just come off of antibiotics, a child who may have been that day exposed to pesticides, maybe they sprayed the lawn for, uh, with chemicals, and then presents at vaccination, that child may, you know, have a really rough time with vaccination. Um, and you don't know wh- what combination of factors actually caused the deterioration in health in the permanent uh, injury. Which makes treatment not just, a, just not a one-shot no. piece. It's not just a matter, in many cases, in many children, chelation alone is not all that's needed. That's right, because we don't know for what, what biological mechanism was involved with that particular child, which vaccine may have been well involved, which other environmental toxins may have been involved. And it's really, uh, uh, with each child, you have to treat that child individually. I've been a critic of the one-size-fits-all approach to vaccination. That is, the public health authorities treat our children as if they are all the same, genetically and, and all in the same health when they present vaccination. They insist on everybody, all the children getting the same schedule, the same vaccines at the same time. 
when what we really need to do is individualize our health policies, whether it's vaccines or treatment policies. They, you know, you really need to look at the individual child and then tailor the, the, uh, the treatment to the child. That's very well said. We are going to be um, going to break right now, Barbara, but I, when we get back, let's talk a little bit more about, um, I want to talk about the amounts, the possible amounts of causing the damage. For example, is there really enough mercury? Is there really enough aluminum to cause problems? Let's talk about that, as well as um, a few more things about what's going on in our society. We'll be right back with Barbara Lowe Fisher. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute. And the main issue, to sum everything up, is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies. And we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the sensory learning program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. To create a kind and gentle world, a change in thought patterns and beliefs, individually and collectively, is needed. Join Suze Casey, developer of Belief Repattering, and her guest as they explore questions and conversations that push the boundaries and engage with you in the process of being who we really are and creating what we really want in our lives. What Do You Want Instead invites you to join the conversation every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. What Do You Want Instead supports you in honoring and accepting yourself and making the decisions that create the lifestyle you desire and deserve. Hi, this is Mark Victor Hansen. You know me for Chicken Soup for the Soul, the One Minute Millionaire, and Cracking the Millionaire Code. And what I want you to know is that if you want to have rip-roaringly good health, listen to Health Crusades by my friend John Farley. Tune in to Health Crusades with John Farley every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, only on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program, here's Betsy. Thanks for coming back. We are with the most wonderful Barbara Lowe Fisher. She is a phenomenal author as well as speaker on the subject of vaccines. Barbara, we were last talking about all the different vaccines and, and what they all, you know, it's hard to pinpoint exactly what part of them is causing a problem or which vaccine is even causing a problem. We've talked everywhere about mercury and um, I know aluminum, which we know causes Alzheimer's, and formaldehyde, which we know is, ca- is a known cause of fascia problems, and there's going to be lots of structure problems with that. But yet what we're hearing from the drug companies is 
it's such a small, minuscule amount. Right. Now, I mean, I don't know about you, but to have the most minuscule amount of the most toxic substance on earth injected into my body still doesn't sound pleasurable. But that's that's their kind of out for this. Because I mean, you can't make a study that says that mercury is safe. No, I, I think certainly it's a no-brainer. <laughs> uh, pardon the pun, but I, I think that uh, why would you want to ha- have any kind of exposure to a no- known neurotoxin? Mercury has been known for some time uh, to be extremely toxic to the human brain. It has an affinity for the brain. And, um, it, you know, in history we look at the poisonings that occurred in, in Minamata Bay when they, uh, the women ate fish that was contaminated with mercury that was being spilled into the, the bay by a, a, a company, a corporation. Uh, you look at the, the, the um, hat makers in the 1800s who made felt hats and they became mad from uh, uh, working with mercury to, to cure the, the felt. Uh, we have examples of, of children who, who ate mercury-contaminated grains in Iraq and Russia in the 70s who were very damaged. So, you know, the, the, the thing is that if, you're, if you are genetically vulnerable to not being able to handle mercury, it's not going to matter how small the amount is. Right. Um, it's just not a good idea to put toxins in something you inject into your baby. And I would, you know, we are very sophisticated technologically now. Uh, we're, we uh, certainly have the tools to make uh, these products safer and not, and, and not have to contain these, these toxins. I, I, I fear that what has happened is that there is such a protection of the existing system. These, the folks that have said, there's nothing wrong with these vaccines. We don't have to improve them. Have their reputation staked on that, and they are defending what is indefensible, and that is the continued use of mercury preservatives in vaccines. And I'm reminded also in terms of the small amounts of homeopathy, which is something that's been around since the 1800s and has uh, been used quite successfully in Europe and and here. Uh, it contains very tiny, minute dilutions of substances that, that then uh, cause a healing of, of the body. So it would it would certainly make sense if you can heal the body with tiny dilutions, uh, you can also harm the body with, with small uh, amounts of toxic substances. Sure. Sure. We live in a very fear-based society, and I see it in so many different parts of our, from politics to religion to our health, um, we find those that want to be in control of us will try to dominate us with fear. And I find that there's no place that's truer than with the, the vaccine. How, you know, we, we are so ingrained from, from the time we're young to parenthood knowing that Vaccines are important. They're necessary. We're all going to die as a society if we don't have them. Mm-hmm. And heaven forbid, don't even sit next to somebody who hasn't been fully vaccinated. All of this fear-based, everything from propaganda that they do on television shows highlighting children that died because their parents refused vaccines all the way through um, the constant propaganda we see in the media that's constantly endorsing their belief system, which is really being put on by the drug companies. So... What, what I guess my first question with this is how necessary are these vaccines? If we're saying, okay, I can see that there's, this is a problem. I don't want to put mercury, but I also don't want my child to die of polio. 
so we had we had Neil Miller on the show previously uh, about a month ago. He was amazing, and he really did a fabulous job about talking about how these so-called uh, a lot of these vaccines are, are for nothing. I mean, that they've been eradicated years before the vaccine even came out. But I mean, are, are we looking at something that's really necessary? Well, I think you know when your first part of your 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 statement was about. Um, about fear, and um, and it's true that when when you are afraid, you don't think clearly. And um, so, one of the tactics of of um, groups who would like to keep people doing what they want them to do is is of course to to play on their fears. And um, we've seen a, an excellent example of that with the bird flu in the in the recent in this past year, uh, or flu in general, actually. Right. And flu was vaccine, you know, was a vaccine that was originally developed for the elderly who who have a very difficult time of getting through the flu without having pneumonia or dying. And uh, yet now we've we brought this this flu vaccine down to the little babies. Uh and so what we're in the process of doing is 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 really creating a, a population that has no natural experience with the flu, no immunological memory with type A or type B flu, and becomes totally vaccine-dependent and I think exquisitely sensitive probably to a future pandemic flu strain because we have no memory mm-hmm. because the vaccines only induce temporary immunity and it is not the same kind of qualitative immunity as when you recover from the natural disease. But anyway, I digress. Uh, do, we, do we need all these vaccines? I, I don't think we need all these vaccines. I, I think that the fact that, you know, when my son was vaccinated, we, the children were getting 23 doses of seven vaccines and today by age six, and today it's 48 doses of, of, of uh, 14 vaccines by age six. That's a doubling of the numbers of doses of vaccines, as, of course, we've seen at the same time a doubling of the numbers of children or tripling even of the numbers of children who are suffering from chronic disease and disability. Is there a connection between this multiple vaccination and this uh, increase in chronic disease in our children? I think there is. Uh, so my answer would be I don't think we need all these vaccines. I mean, the first vaccine that was developed was smallpox vaccine in, in, the, in the late 1700s to uh, address a very serious uh, life-threatening disease. And what are we doing now? We're, 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 we're asking all of our 9- to 11-year-old children, uh, I think the CDC at the end of the month is going to ask all of our little girls to get human papillomavirus vaccine that prevents cervical cancer and genital warts. I mean, you know, where, where are we going with this kind of vaccine policy that is departing from the model of smallpox and polio and entering now into basically lifestyle vaccines like hepatitis B and HPV uh, and, and the vaccines that uh, affect very few children or, uh, or are like, um, for example, some of the meningitis vaccines, it really is a very small number of children who would, who would get meningitis every year, either pneumococcal meningitis or haemophilus influenza B, relatively. I'm talking a couple thousand kids. Granted, high death rate, no question. You can, you, you know, with hip disease, you can, you can be dead within six hours if you contract hip. Right, right. But, you know, the problem is, is our, what, what should we really be doing? 
to, to keep our children healthy? Should we not be looking at what health is yes. rather than what sickness is? Shouldn't we be looking at how to enhance the functioning of the immune system, study the immune system, and instead of trying to manipulate it, try to help it function the way God made it to function? I, I really think that, that we have gotten off track and everything is upside down. We're looking at sickness constantly and not at what it means to be healthy. I speak all over the country, and some of the healthcare conferences I speak at, I, there are children there who are uh, in maybe second generation unvaccinated, and I have to say that I can tell an unvaccinated child from a vaccinated child these days. Um, they have bright eyes. They are concentrated. They are calm. They can think. They can speak properly. They are um, not bouncing off the walls. They're children who are able to resist the challenge from viruses and bacteria naturally because they have a healthy functioning immune system that hasn't been crippled by the use of too many vaccines in early childhood. Yes, I agree. And the going back to building the immunity, I, I think that this is a, a whole paradigm shift that's going to need to happen with this. And the pro- biggest part of the problem is the fact that it's not a one-shot deal. Building up your immunity takes work and time and effort and and long-term thought as opposed to, okay, now I'm sick, fix it. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's, it's about leading a healthy lifestyle. It's about proper nutrition that, that doesn't include processed foods. It's about not subjecting yourself to environmental toxins. Um, it, it, it's about not putting toxic things in your body. Uh, it's about proper uh, rest and about lowering stress. And it's about a way of living. But first of all, in infancy, we should be, we should not be bombarding our children with so many vaccines that it, that, uh, so that they cannot really, the immune system can't mature properly in order to be able to meet the challenge of viruses and bacteria and resolve inflammation. Instead, we're, as I said at the outset of the program, our children are, are I think, chronically inflamed and unable to, to, to resolve inflammation so they can heal. You made a very good point about the fact that these immune systems need to be working um, for viruses and such and being able to clear viruses and such. So many parents of children with autism especially will say, oh, you know, I don't think my child has any physical problems because they never get sick. And, mm-hmm. and that's not a good thing either. That means you have an overactive immune system and that you need to have an immune system that's, that's basically very balanced. So, because getting sick is, is, is an okay thing to be. It is. You know, we, we, have, we have been so conditioned to thinking we can't have a fever. You've got to take that Tylenol or aspirin, bring that fever down. When the fever is the way of, is, is a, a proper function of the body during illness. That fever is mounted so that your body can mount antibodies. To, to It's part of the fighting of the infection so that you can then heal. If you're constantly suppressing things whenever your body tries to to uh, meet the challenge of virus and bacteria, one of those the ways it does it is to mount a fever or to produce mucus or diarrhea or vomiting or whatever. That is your body dealing with that viral or bacterial infection. So, you know, what we have been so conditioned by the pharmaceutical industry to think that we have to constantly be symptom-free and constantly suppress what our immune systems are trying to do, which is to, to go through the healing process. And, and, and then the vaccine industry has conditioned us to, to, to think that our children should not have any of the normal childhood diseases. The problem is we really have become vaccine-dependent. 
Because, for example, in the, in the case of chickenpox, we have removed now, since 1995, we've removed chickenpox, which for 99.99% of children was an, not a disease that resulted in death or disability. In fact, that vaccine was developed for leukemic children who could not go through a bout with chickenpox without having a very a great chance of dying. And, and yet now we're giving it to all the children so they don't get to have chicken pox and develop natural immunity, which is a qualitatively superior immunity, and then as adults get boosted in their immunity by coming into contact with children who have chicken pox. And that's the way it used to work in the old days. You'd get chicken pox as a child, you'd develop uh, immunity. As an adult, you'd come in contact with the babies or the young children who had chickenpox, and your immunity would be boosted, so you wouldn't get chickenpox again, and you also wouldn't get shingles, which right. can occur. Now we have an epidemic of shingles because we've, we don't have that boosting occurring anymore. So now what are they doing? They're coming out with a shingles vaccine for adults. So you, cre- you basically create a condition in order by vaccination in order to be able to sell more product down the road. It just—it's just all upside down, as I said. But it's also money making, <laughs> tremendously. Um, when we get back, we're going to take a break right now. But when we get back, we're going to be talking about how you can say no to vaccinations if you choose not to vaccinate your child. And let's talk a little bit about the CDC. What, what's going on with them? We'll be right back with Barbara Lowe Fisher. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute. And the main issue, to sum everything up, is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies. And we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the Sensory Learning Program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. The pressures to be thin or ideal go beyond the Hollywood headlines. In fact, those suffering from eating disorders in the U.S. number in the millions, and eating disorders such as anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, and binge eating are more common than Alzheimer's disease. Eating disorders affect men, women, adolescents, as well as young children. On Understanding Eating Disorders, Dr. Tom Scales, an internist and psychiatrist, uncovers the causes and characteristics of various eating disorders and shares his expertise on current treatment approaches. Expert guests and personal stories from some who have recovered reveal the depth of emotional conflicts of these dangerously obsessive conditions and the resolutions that work. Tune in to Understanding Eating Disorders with Dr. Tom Scales every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Understanding Eating Disorders, the cycle of eating disorders, can be broken. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Betsy. Thank you and welcome back. I am Betsy Hicks and I'm here joined with my guest, Barbara Lowe Fisher, who has enlightened us in many different ways of what's happening with the vaccine world and what's happening with our society in general as we become sicker and sicker. We have talked quite a bit about all the different effects that the vaccines have been bringing on to us. And, of course, my halfway question, because um, for those of people who know what my background is, they know I know the answer to this, but I, I have to ask you, Barbara, that you can answer for everybody else as to why is the CDC not protecting us? Well, I think it's it's what I was talking about earlier, and that is the protection of reputations. Um, they, you know, I also have found a lot of medical doctors and PhD scientists to be quite arrogant and 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 really uh, not wanting to admit that maybe they made a mistake when we're all human, no matter if we have MD or PhD written after our name or not. We're all human, and, and we, we have biases, and we have uh, blind spots, and we have uh, pride and, and all sorts of things that um, can get in the way of really admitting what the truth is. And I think that it's, it's very unfortunate because, because I think that people tend to trust people who say, you know what, I tried to do a good thing, but I, did, I made a mistake. and Something bad happened. And I think that's really what they need to do, because uh, because what, what what's happening is by the denials and the the stubborn uh, refusal to to deal with what's in front of them, uh, we are hurting a lot of kids, and it doesn't need to be like this. They can do the research. We have the tools now to find out who is genetically at risk, who what kind of biological factors put a child at risk and then try to develop screening techniques and try to tailor the vaccine policies to the individual rather than taking the one-size-fits-all approach. I I really think it's a matter of pride and and stubborn arrogance, frankly. I remember my dear friend and yours, Liz Burt, who, um, for those of you who may not know who she is, um, she is an attorney and was a huge advocate for vaccine safety who um, was killed in a car accident in December. Um, but I remember her saying to me one t- one day, it, I used to just want an apology, but now it's become criminal, and I want to see them go to jail. And and that really is, I just remember the, you know, the apology piece was fine for a while, but, but they had so many opportunities to just apologize. Now it's a matter of this has become criminal, covering up, and 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 not and and allowing this to happen. Well, I think it's um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens um, as the science is done, and it will be done because the truth does come out in the end, uh, no matter how people try to hold it back. Um, it does come out, and I think it'll be interesting to see what the fallout's going to be. And I don't know how when it's you know when the realization is going to come um, on the part of the public. That they have been, um, I think, exploited by the drug companies and unfortunately used by um, people in, in positions of power who should know better. Um, but 
you know, whether there eventually is going to be legal sanctions against those who have participated in uh, a cover-up, um, I don't know. It'll be, it'll, it, I'll be interesting to see what happens in the future. Yeah, it will be. Well, going on to our next subject, I wanted um, to ask you about what does a parent do who is getting problems well, let's start with the pediatrician before we even go to the schools. Let's let's deal with the pediatrician. So they're in their pediatrician's office, and they say to their pediatrician, um, I, I've just been researching too much, and I'm just really not comfortable with this whole vaccine piece. Well, I think that what the National Vaccine Information Center, what we have always uh, advised is to become a, an informed healthcare consumer, but particularly an informed informed about vaccination and diseases. You need to, when before you take your child in, you need to know which vaccines are going to be given, the diseases that they're supposedly protect against, uh, their side effects, and, and be armed with questions for your doctor. If after you know, looking, getting, doing your own research and speaking with your doctor, you do not feel comfortable about giving your child one or more vaccines, then you need to say, to say that. Uh, some ch- parents are uh, choosing an alternate schedule. They may, you know, use a few vaccines, but they space them apart. They don't give them all at once. Uh, others uh, uh, just feel their ch- children are at risk uh, for having reactions and don't want to do any of it. And some people go ahead and, and, and do what their doctor says. We support any decision that a parent makes because it, it is the parent, we feel it's the parent's right to make that informed choice for their child. And uh, so we don't tell parents to vaccinate or not to vaccinate. We simply provide information and, 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 and of course, defend the informed consent ethic, which is their right to make voluntary decisions. Unfortunately, in this country, there are mandatory vaccination laws, which often t- make it very difficult for parents uh, to get their children in school or take, take advantage of other societal privileges um, if they don't get vaccinated. Um, there are laws in every state. Uh, requiring vaccination. The laws do vary from state to state because vaccination is a matter of state law, not federal law, and that is because in the Constitution, anything not defined as a federal activity defaults to the states, and public health is one of those activities that is a state-controlled activity. So they do vary, and also there there are exemptions, but they're kind of hard to come by. There's a medical exemption. It has to be written by an MD or a doctor of osteopathy, a DO, which are the two kinds of doctors that can prescribe drugs or perform surgery. Um, they, uh, the medical exemption is hard to get because a lot of times when MDs do give the exemption, they're second-guessed by the state health department. So it's hard to get a medical exemption written in this country anymore. The doctors feel like they don't, they, they're afraid to do it. Um, there's also a religious exemption that's available in all but two states. Now, these laws on religious exemption vary widely. The language is, is different for different states. In the states where they've had very restrictive language, like you have to belong to a church that, that has a tenant opposing vaccination, whenever that's been challenged at the high court level, right. it has been struck down as denying equal protection to the law and, of course, it is, uh, you know, in this country you're not supposed to be able to, the state isn't supposed to be able to tell you what you should believe religiously in order to uh, enjoy protection under the law. So you can claim a personal religious exemption. That is, you know, you can, you can be a Catholic or you can be of the Jewish faith or a Protestant or whatever, and uh, even though your church does not have a written tenant opposing vaccination, you can hold personal religious beliefs concerning vaccination and file that exemption. 
in some states like New York, they're being they're being challenged and it's very hard to come by. Sometimes they're being taken away. Parents end up in court defending them. In about 17 states, there's philosophical, personal belief, or conscientious belief exemption, depending upon the way that the law is uh, written. And in those the, those states have the closest. Uh, they come the closest to informed consent because you can have literally a philosophical or personal belief uh, and, and take that exemption. Okay, this is all very important to, to note. Um, what about a pediatrician who simply wants to kick somebody out of their practice simply because they will not vaccinate? Well, unfortunately, that has been occurring more and more. I'd say that the American Academy of Pediatrics and a lot of physician, uh, physician organizations have been behind the scenes recommending pediatricians do that. I think it's because they uh, want to uh, force vaccination, uh, not only through the laws, but they want to literally deny medical care to any child uh, that doesn't have, uh, isn't vaccinated. In fact, it was interesting. I just got an email from a, a young man who had gotten a job at Kaiser Permanente out in California, uh, and he was, uh, he had been hired and, uh, he was fired because he refused to get a mumps vaccination. Uh, so you're seeing more and more, uh, this sort of attempt by doctors, by people allied with the vaccine industry like the, the HMOs and the insurance companies, that kind of thing, to deny uh, parents and families medical care or jobs or whatever if they don't comply with the, the vaccine recommendations of the CDC. I, I feel I, I think that the, the right to voluntary choice making with regard to vaccination is under assault in this country. I think it's going to it's going to depend upon everybody if they want to have, be able to make free choices with regard to vaccination. They're going to have to go to their state legislatures and they're going to have to fight for that right because I think that the, the industry and the federal and state health officials and the doctors want to take that away. They certainly do. Um, okay, so the. In dealing with this mumps outbreak that just apparently came and went, uh, I, I don't know—is it still it's, is it still getting a lot of attention right now? I think they they have stopped talking about it because it became very obvious that it was in vaccinated individuals. <laughs> that was just amazing. But you know what? It became obvious to us, but the majority of the people did not know that they were vaccinated individuals that had the outbreak. Yeah, it's. Just, it's to, to us, I mean, we just sat back and laughed, but... Um, well, this is the way, it, you know, really the, the major outbreaks have been mostly in vaccinated individuals uh, of any of all the diseases because we have a very, very high vaccination rate in this country because these mandatory vaccination laws are so uh, zealously enforced. We have a 96 98% vaccination rate among all kindergartners for core vaccines like measles, mumps, rubella, hepatitis B, diphtheria, pertussis, tetanus, um, um, and polio. And so, you know, <clears throat> there, this, we have a, live in a very highly vaccinated society, the most highly vaccinated in the entire wor- world. We use more vaccines than any other country. And uh, so I think that... Um, is it amusing? It is amusing because most of the outbreaks of disease are in vaccinated individuals. Yeah, it's funny. Well, we're going to be taking a break in just a moment, but um, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about um, what you can say to your doctor. Um, I, I have a few tips on that, uh, being married to a pediatrician, as well as 
what to say to the schools. Um, what to, you know, we, we know our rights, but maybe some of the words that you could use. Also, let's find out what's coming up um, behind the corner of new vaccines that may be luring to, to get us. Uh, we'll be right back with our wonderful guest, Barbara Lowe Fisher. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute, and the main issue to sum everything up is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies, and we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the Sensory Learning Program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. The Men's Health and Lifestyle Show with Dr. Philip Worthman explores in-depth topics of concern to men of all ages regarding their health and lifestyle in an informative and provocative way. This show is the user's manual for men, a detailed and unedited guide to male physiology. Dr. Worthman, a recognized authority in men's health and male fertility, and his expert guests stimulate informative discussions and debates in a serious yet entertaining way, from explaining how or why the male body works as it does, to dispelling myths and misconceptions about men's health and sexuality. Dr. Worthman covers and uncovers it all. The Men's Health and Lifestyle Show broadcasts each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. The Men's Health and Lifestyle Show, teaching men what they need to know to live healthy, happy, and productive lives. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program, here's Betsy. Hello, everyone. This is Betsy, and I'm here with Barbara Lowe Fisher, and we have been talking about vaccines all day and the dangers of so many of the vaccines. Um, what we've been just finishing talking about is how to deal with um, the doctors in the schools, uh, the pediatricians who may not support your decision to either vaccinate slowly or to not vaccinate at all, as well as the schools who may threaten or even workplace that may threaten to kick you out or fire you in those situations. And certainly the military has a situation with that as well, which we, that's a whole other subject. We won't go into that. Um, but... Uh, now, being married to a pediatrician, I have been told that, and, and I may be misunderstanding this incorrectly, so correct me if I'm wrong, Barbara, but they get a certain amount of money back from insurance companies every year, and a big percentage of that is dependent upon the percentage of vaccinated patients. So, in other words, they don't get back as much from the insurance company if their patients are not fully vaccinated. And that's right, and that's why the HMOs are throwing out 
families who don't vaccinate because there's a carrot, there's a financial carrot, and I guess punishment um, if if you don't if if there is a high vaccination rate in the in the pra- in the practice. And this is the same model that the, the federal government has used with the states. That is, that states that that adopt a, a vaccine into their mandatory list, whenever the the, uh, the CDC recommends a vaccine for universal use in children, they get paid by the government. They get grants from the CDC, and depending upon how high the vaccination rate is with that vaccine in the state, they get more money. So there's definitely uh, financial incentives for the mandates at the state level and for very high vaccination rates to be sustained. Um, and so it's, uh, it, it is difficult to sort of go an independent course with this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have to know the laws in your states in terms of school entry. A lot of parents are homeschooling uh, because they don't want to vaccinate, and I know that's not an option for everyone. Uh, but um, there are schools out there, you have to look for them, uh, private schools who will, who will uh, let your children in. And then, of course, there are the laws that allow religious or philosophical exemption if you happen to be in one of those states. Um, and, and you just have to know how you have to word it and you have to have sincere convictions about whatever you do. I wouldn't advise lying. I, I would advise doing your research and searching your soul and coming up with reasons that make sense for you because you want to be able to defend those beliefs if you're ever questioned. And I know that it's not easy for parents to have to switch pediatricians or whatever that might be, but um, there are pediatricians out there now who are allowing that. Usually they're in private practice, which makes it more difficult for those who have HMOs. Well, that's true. Um, a lot of parents, um, you know, there are these physicians who are enlightened and progressive and who understand that you have to tailor uh, health care to the individual and not adopt this one-size-fits-all approach. And they're, but they're growing. The numbers are growing. And very quietly, the names are getting around. Yes, and they sure are. Yeah. I don't, through the, the Internet is, is definitely a place to, to search for that. See, we're, yeah, that's right. We're in this paradigm shift. No question a paradigm shift is occurring. It's instinctive. Uh, the people understand that all these drugs and vaccines have not made them healthier. They've made them sicker. And so they're searching for more natural, less intrusive, less toxic alternatives. And the enlightened, progressive, holistic physicians and healthcare providers who are taking the, 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 um, the more natural approach are very attractive to a lot of families. And I think they are the ones in the coming years who are going to force the tipping point, and force medicine uh, to take a different route. I sure hope so. Tell me what's coming up with the CDC. What what new uh, drugs do they, or the vaccines do they have behind? Oh my goodness! Anything anything that causes an infection, <laughs> you name it. And and also they're trying to develop vaccines to deal with vaccine induced diseases like asthma and uh, shingles, which I talked about previously. But the one that I'm really worried about is this super vaccine that they spent, oh, probably 15 years developing. It is an oral vaccine that is supposed to be dropped into the baby's mouths at the moment of birth. It will contain 30 to different, 30 to 40 different viral and bacterial antigens that will, it will be, they will be uh, genetically engineered. It will inject, or it will actually insert raw DNA 
uh, into these children and will be time-released in the body. And some of the organisms that will be in there um, will be pneumonia, AIDS, dengue hemorrhage, fever, diarrhea disease, uh, diarrheal disease like rotavirus, which we already have a vaccine for, uh, malaria, uh, tuberculosis, typhoid. I mean, it, it is an amazing plan that they have to try to literally at the moment of the birth, that means the first immunological experience that the children have will be with this oral super vaccine. Where are they testing this, or are they testing this? I don't, haven't been able, since they announced the development of it, and a number of governments in the world have been uh, joined in this research, uh, I have not been able to find out any information about it. So I don't know what stage it's in. I only know that it is their dream. It is their what they call the Holy Grail. And uh, there's no question that the HIV vaccine is going to be coming to all of us. Uh, it is on a fast track, even though they can't seem to make a vaccine, an AIDS vaccine, that, 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 that works because the AIDS virus is notorious for changing. Well, it's fact, retro, right? It goes right. backwards, right. But I think that people need to understand they've got to stand up now for their right to make voluntary vaccination choices because there are a lot of plans afoot with a lot of vaccines that these companies and these health officials want to force us to take. I just saw The Constant Gardener, and I think it's a wonderful movie, and I wish everybody could see it and, and really see, you know, and not nothing to do with vaccines, but it has so much to do with the way that the, um, what, what the drug manufacturers are doing, what you don't see, what, what you're not witnessing. And I... I really urge everybody to become as educated as they possibly can. Um, as these start to emerge, tell me, how do we get involved with Congress? What is the best way to, to do that? And our senators, we, should, we need to be writing. We need to be... Well, what we, we, what we need to do is, is start to become a grassroots um, activist, really, in your own community. You need to get to know your legislators, and you need to talk to them. You need to talk to, to people in your community about this issue. And then you need to, to, to try to monitor what you're, the, what's happening in your own state legislature so that if you, when, when they try to mandate these vaccines, uh, you can go and uh, speak, speak up. It really, it's, it's really a process of becoming educated and becoming what I call a grassroots activist. I know that we don't have time. I know we all have our children and we're getting into school and everything, but I'll tell you, if you don't start to sort of network with other people in your community and become, make your, your elected representatives understand that you're concerned about this and you want to have the right to make voluntary vaccine choices, you're going to wake up one day and you're not going to be able to have any choice or you're going to lose the ability to file your taxes, get your driver's license, get an education, travel on the plane, I mean, fly on a plane or get into a, a hospital. It, 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 there are all sorts of suggestions of societal punishments attached to not vaccinating. That's for sure. Um, Barbara, can you please tell everybody, you're, you're, do you have a website? Yes, we do. A very. It's one of the oldest and largest. We get almost a million hits a year. It's quite well known internationally. Certainly. It's uh, www.n for national, v for vaccine, i for information, c for center, dot org. That's n-v-i-c dot org. Very important website, a fabulous website, a website that really in many ways started it all and has educated us for quite a few years now. How long have you been um, had that 
Well, we we started in the in the early '90s with that, uh, but our organization has been around since 1982. So we've been doing this work for almost 25 years. You must. I hope. I don't know if you do, but I hope you sometimes sit back and know how many children that you helped, um, because whether it stopped the midway or whether it just let them know what was happening, your information, your books has. truly helped our generation in so many different ways, and I greatly appreciate all that you've done. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. Well, you are a wonderful guest. Thank you to everybody for listening today. Um, Important information. Make sure you listen to the archives and have everybody come back that you know, especially those that are expecting to listen to this very important show today. Thank you for joining us. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. The Sensory Learning Center would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Betsy or get more information, visit autismone.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks.